the text reads like this. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain, we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray together. As your hungry sheep, we come to you now and ask that you would feed us. We pray that there would be a great feeding here, a nourishing, a strengthening of our souls by means of your word. And we pray that you would equip us for all that you have for us, that we might be a church to the praise of your glorious grace. And we ask it, Lord, in your name. Amen. There once was a king who had a dream about a statue. Its head was made of gold. Its chest and arms were made of silver. Its middle and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron. And its feet were made partly of iron and partly of clay. 
it looked imposing until a stone struck its feet and brought the entire structure crashing down. The king couldn't quite put his finger on it, but there was something about this dream that alarmed him. It felt less like a dream and more like a nightmare to him. So he summoned his counselors, his wise men, but they were fresh out of ideas until a young captive whose name was Daniel approached the king. God had revealed to this young Daniel both what the king had dreamt and what the dream meant. And he told him that each material of this statue represented a kingdom. And that in time, each kingdom, one kingdom would give way to the other. Until a divine kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, would topple them all. It would start out small like a stone, the stone in the dream, but it would grow to become a mountain. And in the end, this mountain would cover the whole earth. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he launched that stone on the earth. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And since then, the stone has become a mountain and the mountain will one day cover the earth. The $8 billion question is how? How will the stone that became a mountain cover the entire world? Well, our passage today answers that very question. Because the point of our passage today is this. Jesus builds his church with gifts. Jesus builds his church with gifts. We've been walking through Paul's great letter to the church at Ephesus. Chapters 1 to 3 tell us how the church was called to be. And chapters 4 to 6 tell us how the church is to be. That is how the church is to function. And last week, Paul commended unity to us. This week, he'll commend diversity to us. That is specifically the diversity of our gifts in the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes there, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And the gift in view there The grace, rather, in view there isn't saving grace. Instead, it is gifting grace. And so when you were saved, Jesus gave to you at least one gift, and he measured it out for the building up of his church to push the mountain forward until it covers the entire earth. And so although we don't build the church in our power, Although we don't build and push the the church forward according to our gifts, Jesus builds his church with the gifts that he gave to us. And so before we come to our text, allow me to tell us what that means. If you're here today and you are a believer, 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. What this means is that you have been called to a calling that is vastly bigger than anything you could imagine. Vastly bigger, vastly more glorious, vastly more meaningful. Jesus has called you to play a pivotal role in the heavenly kingdom that will cover and outlast the earth. Think about that. And if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, allow me to say what this means for you. What this means is one day your kingdom will pass away. Your family line will one day come to an end. The business that you work for will one day come to an end. But the church of Jesus Christ will know no end. And the good news is you're welcome to join us. Because Jesus said, I am the door. That is, through repentance and faith in me, you are welcome in a kingdom that will know no end. And will outlast your family, outlast your business, outlast the entire world in which we live. Jesus builds his church with gifts. And today we're going to see Number one, the giving of gifts in verses 7 to 10. And second, the goal of gifts in verses 11 to 16. So number one, the giving of gifts. Look with me again at verses 7 to 10. Uh, Paul writes there, but grace, that is gifting grace, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high... He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus builds his church with gifts. And in the verses we just read, Paul, the apostle, likens these gifts to spoil. So back then when one kingdom went to war against another kingdom, the victorious kingdom would take the resources of the defeated kingdom and they would dish them out to the people as they rode back into town to the shouts and to the cheers of the people. The gifts signaled victory. And so it is with Jesus. His gifts to the church signal his victory over Satan, sin, death, demons, and hell. And Paul makes that point by citing Psalm 68 verse 18. You heard me read it at the beginning of our time together today. It's a psalm that pictures God as a victorious warrior God. Sometimes Christians get a little bit worried uh, when they read Psalm 68 and then read Ephesians 4. Uh, Because in in Psalm 68, the author writes, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men. In Ephesians 4, though, Paul writes, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. But the difficulty gets resolved when you understand that the Hebrew word for received can also be translated brought. That is, he brought gifts in order to give them 
away as spoil. But the big idea that that Paul is driving at here is that Jesus is the victorious warrior God of Psalm 68. Jesus is the one who descended from heaven to earth on a rescue operation to save sinners, and he was altogether successful in accomplishing it. He conquered the kingdom of darkness. He resisted every temptation. He obeyed at every point and turn. He disarmed every demon by triumphing over them at the cross. They can now no longer bring any charge before the judge in heaven because Jesus has atoned for everyone. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus then rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, poured out his Holy Spirit on the church, and he gave gifts to us, signaling his victory over hell. And with those gifts, Jesus is now building his church. His gifts signal his victory. Now to that, I really hope we all wanna say aloud, amen. But the question that many of us have on our minds at this point is, so how then can I know what gift Jesus gave to me? If it's true that Jesus gave at least one gift and measured it out to everyone who came to repentance and faith in him, then how can I know how Jesus or what gift Jesus has given to me? And the answer to that isn't by filling out one of those spiritual gift assessment forms. Uh, I I did that once, and it informed me at the end of the test that I was an apostle and had the gift of apostleship. So make what you will about those tests. Uh, But for some of us, there'll be a burning, irresistible, unquenchable desire to do something for the glory of God and for the good of the church. To be honest with you all, this is how it worked in my life. I wasn't very good uh, at paying attention at school, but a few years after I was converted, when I heard a sermon, when someone showed up to church with a well-prepared, well-illustrated, well-thought-through, well-applied sermon, preached with power, and preached in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you this, I was the most engaged person in the room. I was locked in, I was all in. And eventually, the desire to do for others what others had done for me became irresistible. So that today I say with the Apostle Paul, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And some of you can relate to that. But for others of us, you'll just give your gifts by throwing yourselves into the life of the church, meeting the needs until you do something that fits. You'll start to see your work of service really benefit those on the receiving end of it. People will thank you for it. And in the end, you'll find that your gift is causing the entire church to become a little bit more well-oiled. So let's say, for example, you start serving our kids at at Epic on a Sunday morning and you find that as you teach and as you get alongside them, they, they listen to what you're saying and they understand what you are saying and they, they find themselves growing in, in wonder and love and praise for our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you have the gift 
of teaching or perhaps when you visit the sick. You find that they're refreshed and they're strengthened by your company and through what you can show them of Jesus. So that even as you pour your heart out for them, you find that you're being simultaneously topped up. And maybe you have the gift of, of mercy. And so practically then, friends, throw yourself into the life of the church and do the thing that blesses people most. And, and do that in the knowledge that Jesus has already conquered. He's already plundered hell. Why? Because when you realize that, then you'll be able to serve with confidence. Jesus didn't give you your gift in hopes that he might be victorious. Jesus gave you your gift as the one who already is victorious. And what that means is that we can afford to make a pig's ear of things every now and again. We can afford some trial and some error. We can afford to get things wrong because Jesus has already plundered hell. And if you find that God has gifted you, if you find that God has clearly given you a gift for the good of the church, then brother or sister, serve with all humility because your gift is a gift. That is, it didn't originate with you. Jesus just opened your hand and placed it inside of it when you got saved for his glory. If the gift originated with him, then the glory is owing to him as well. That's why Paul asks, what did you receive? What, what do you have rather that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as though you did not receive it? So we've looked at the giving of gifts, but second, I want us to see the goal of gifts. Look at verses 11 to 16. Paul writes there, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now in verse 11, uh, we have a short sampling of the gifts that Jesus gave to his church. There are other lists, there are other gifts listed uh, other lists and gifts listed in the New Testament. And then in verses 12 to 16, uh, Paul lists three intended goals behind those gifts mentioned. So we're going to look at the gifts in verse 11, and then we'll think about why Jesus gave them to his church. The first thing that strikes us about the, the list of gifts mentioned in verse 11 is that the gifts are actually people rather than they are abilities. You see that first we read that Jesus gave the apostles as gifts to the church. Uh, the apostles there being the 12 plus the apostle Paul. 
Second, Jesus gave the prophets as gifts to the church, probably referring there to those in the early church with the gift of prophecy. And then third, Jesus gave the evangelists as gifts to the church. Those are they who have a divine anointing and a gifting to share the gospel with unbelievers. And that's why we're looking, seeking a full-time evangelist here at HEC, because they are God gifts to the church uh, for reasons that we'll get to in a few moments. And then fourth, Jesus gave the shepherds and teachers. That's probably a, a reference there to one office, pastor teacher, uh, rather than pastors over here and then teachers over there. Pastors are those who speak the word of God and keep watch over people's souls. But the question is why? Why did Jesus give those gifts to the church? And Paul gives us three answers. Goal number one, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Just think about it for a moment. If the church is the stone that has become the mountain that will cover the entire earth, then what would you expect to be needed? Well, more God-given hands on the mountain. And church leaders are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to push the mountain forward. Again, not in our power, but by his power that he works in and through us as gifted members of his body. Now, sadly, in our circle, we have not done a very good job at grasping this. Uh, instead, we've opted for a one-man ministry where the congregation pays the pastor and then they sit back and they watch him do the ministry. That's an excellent way to turn a man into a smoldering heap of ashes. Uh, not only that, it is violently opposed to Paul's vision for the church here in Ephesians chapter four. Paul's vision for the church here in Ephesians four is an every member ministry. So that one pastor could visit the sick, or 10 healthy church members could visit 10 times the number of sick people and get around them 10 times faster. One pastor could preach three times a week, or he could build up others to be used in that gift and sent out for the good of churches elsewhere. And so when it comes to the, the, the evangelist that we're looking to hire here, please understand that we're not looking for someone to share the gospel full stop. We're looking for someone who can equip us to share the gospel by pioneering brand new ministries and taking us along with him. But the encouragement for us all here is this, there is room for your hands on this part of the mountain that we call HEC. Friend, if you love Jesus and if you are following Jesus, and you are seeking to put sin to death in your life for Jesus, then there's room for your hands on this part of the mountain. You have a part to play. Goal number two is the attainment of unity. Just look there at verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Last week, uh, Paul told us that we are to maintain our unity in Jesus. This week, he tells us that we are to uh, we are to attain it because it's possible to have something and yet have more of it. And that's what will happen, Paul says, when we serve together under one Lord for one 
purpose. Goal number three, the attainment of maturity. Look in verses 14 and 16. Now, friends, I wonder if you notice that the one thing that all these gifts have in common is that they are all speaking gifts. And the point is that Jesus gifts certain people to teach for the church to grow in unity and maturity as we speak the truth in love to one another and then see the whole church built up. I remember in my, in my first year here at HEC, uh, I received a letter in the post from someone whom I, ha- I hadn't met before. Uh, he doesn't come here. And this brother informed me that actually there's no reason, there's no need for people uh, like me to do what I come here at HEC to do. There's no need for pastors to give themselves to brain-shattering study and preparation because the only need is to get out there on the streets and share the gospel with unbelievers. Well, let's say for a minute that I did that. Let's say that I woke up on Sunday morning, just had a little casual think about what I'd bring for us all, sipping my coffee, think of a few stories, and then got up here and just started babbling away. What would happen to us? Well, we wouldn't grow in maturity. And then let's say that actually I did spend all of my time with unbelievers on the streets of Hoylake and saw 50 of them converted in one year. Let's say 50 people were saved with no church background, no Bible understanding at all. What would those people need? Well, they would need teaching. They would need to go from being newborn babies in Christ to warriors in Christ to go from drinking milk until they could handle an 80-pound ribeye steak cooked medium rare, covered in garlic butter, and sprinkled with Himalayan salt. Meaty preaching creates meaty believers and healthy churches. And it is those beefed-up mature believers who are, able, who are then equipped to speak the truth in love to the others in the church as well. That's how the church is built. That's how the mountain is pushed forward until it covers the whole world. And without that kind of preaching, Christians will be gullible children for the rest of their lives. They'll be like immature children who have been blown overboard in a storm at sea and find themselves unable to swim. One moment they're they're blown to the north, and they're taken in by that preacher or that, by that teacher who has a trainload of charisma. At the next minute, they're blown to the south by that ministry leader who promises that all of their carnal desires can be met if they just sow a seed of faith into their ministry by token of a, of a financial donation. And then 10 minutes later, they're blown to the east by that preacher who flatters them but leaves them altogether malnourished. And then the next, they're blown to the West by that guru who says, everything that you received in the gospel of Jesus is all well and good. But in order for you to go deeper, you need my revelation. And without a diet of gospel-centered, Christ-exalted, God-entranced Bible preaching, Babies will never grow 
to maturehood. They'll never grow into the people who can speak the truth in love to others who need it in the church. Now, I want to bring this to a close by speaking to those of you who are hearing all about the the work of the ministry that I'm supposed to be equipping you to do and hear it as nothing more than one more thing to do in an already impossible schedule. And what I want to say to you is this, the best way to stay motivated is by keeping the end goal in view. Obligation is fine, but it will only get you so far. Paul's vision for the church, however, will enable you to keep one hand on the plow, even as there is sweat in your eye, tears down your cheeks, and blood in your boots. And if you'll believe that, then the Lord Jesus might just be pleased to move this part of the mountain forward through you. He might just be pleased to see sinners saved and restore backsliders and encourage the faint-hearted and nurture the young and fire up the lukewarm and deepen people's understanding and train the new generation and pioneer ministries. That's a vision for the church that will take you where obligation couldn't. And that's when we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Jesus builds his church with gifts. Amen. Amen. Amen.